The Water Values Podcast, Session 46. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey. Thanks for joining me. I hope that everyone in the U.S. had a great extended weekend this past weekend and that you took some time to reflect on why you had that extra day off of work. Well, today's podcast brings to you another great leader in the water industry, Robert Puente, the CEO of San Antonio Water System, or SAWS, joins us to discuss a number of creative projects, including an inland desalination plant, a recycled water utility, a P3 for water supply, and some creative energy ideas that SAWS has going on. Uh, Robert also discusses the process SAWS followed to get its gallons per person per day figure from 225 to 125 over a 25-year period. It's another must-listen episode. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Robert, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. To start off, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Um, Well, I'm actually a trained lawyer. I had absolutely no background in water uh, through my legal career. I got elected to the state legislature in Texas, got put on the water committee, and actually that was not by choice, but uh, (laughs) as it turned out, it was something that I really started to get into. I stayed on there for about uh, 17 years, moved my way up through the, the ranks to a leadership position, became chairman of the water committee in Texas. Uh, And um, so it it was really just by being at the right place at the right time, and that was a drought. So then I started getting into it, and I really enjoyed it. Well, you know, life's kind of how Plan B works out, right? So um, what are are you doing these days? uh, What's your your profession now? Well, I'm, I'm the president and CEO of the San Antonio Water System. I retired from the legislature and was going to start practicing law again probably do some uh, lobbying also. Um, As it turned out, um, the current, at that time, current president was on his way out, and I got tapped for this uh, job, and so I've been here about six years now. Terrific. How about a little background on the San Antonio water system? What what services does it offer? How big? uh, You know, how many customers? Things of that nature. Uh, We're a pretty big uh, water utility. We're probably... uh, the biggest, if not one of the biggest, in the uh, in the United States, as far as a municipal uh, public utility, we handle water and wastewater. Um, we also have uh, heating and cooling, uh, a third little function that we have. Uh, a pretty bu- big system, as I mentioned. We serve about a million and a half people in this area, about 450,000 connections. Uh, 10,000 miles, 11,000 miles of pipe underground, all of our majority of our assets uh, you never see. Half of it is wastewater, half of it is fresh water. Um, our governing body is impo- appointed by our city council, so we, we are separate from the city in the sense that we're uh, governed separately. We're not a city agency, so we have that independence. Uh, but the city of San Antonio does own us, so we have to go to the city, for example, for our rates. That's the only interaction we really have with our city council is we – and that's a big interaction. Obviously, if you control the purse strings, you control a lot of things. 
So if we need more revenue, higher rates, we have to go to city council. Uh, talk about the customer growth that you're experiencing. I know Texas in itself is booming. How about San Antonio? Uh, well, we are booming within Texas. You know, as you mentioned, Texas as a whole is growing at a pretty good clip. Uh, San Antonio and especially our outer region from here to Austin. Austin is about um, 90 miles away. That whole area between us is growing at a very, very high clip. And so our growth is over 2% a year. We're expected to get uh, about 20,000 people uh, coming in every day. And what I, what I like to say is those 20,000 people come with uh, a bottle of water, and that's about it. Uh, we have to provide the rest for them. Hmm. Uh, how, in terms of, of keeping up with that growth through the drought, how are you able to do that? What's been the impact on the water supply? Well, that's one of the things that we're very, very proud of uh, is that uh, the drought and our growth has not had any kind of adverse impact on us. And that's because we've been, I think, very innovative in how we've handled growth and how we've, how we've addressed our uh, drought situation. One of them is uh, if, if you think you can, serve, you can conserve your way out of drought or during a drought, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. It will not work. Uh, and it actually could very adversely affect uh, your entity um, through, its, through the revenue as part of it. But our water conservation ethics started 20 years ago, knowing that our supply was going to be cut back because of an endangered species uh, lawsuit that was filed. And so we had to get ready for these cutbacks. And so we changed uh, our water consumption drastically. Back in the 19, early 1990s, for example, we were at about 225 gallons per person per day. Today, we're about 125, so we've had over 100 gallons per person per day reduction in these last 25 years or so. So we are actually using the same amount of water today as we did back then, despite this tremendous uh, growth. So water conservation has been, been a big part of it, but you can't just do that for uh, a drought. You have to do other things. And those other things, for example, that we've been doing is we are in the process of building the largest uh, desalination plant uh, in the United States, inland plant in the United States. We're using brackish groundwater, not gulf water, not seawater. It'll be the largest in the United States when it's fully built out, and that'll be online in 2016. We've also uh, gotten water sources from um, areas right outside San Antonio, groundwater. Uh, we call it the uh, Schertz-Seguin Pipeline. Uh, Schertz and Seguin are small little cities here in the uh, suburbs. Um, we have an agreement with them to use their pipeline, but we're transporting our water in that pipeline. Uh, so that has helped out. Another thing that we're very proud of is that we have uh, the nation's largest groundwater-based uh, underground storage of water, an ASR, aquifer storage and recovery. And so um, the Edwards permit, for example, the Edwards aquifer where we get the majority of our water, we're only allowed a certain amount of water. So if we have a, a series of wet months, wet years, we pump as much as our permit allows and we store it underground. And we use it during drought times. We use it during the summertime where we pull water back out. And so it's like a savings account uh, where you put money in when you have excess money coming in, you, you deposit it, and when you're running low, you start pulling it out. So we're very proud of these different 
uh, things that we're doing, different avenues that we've been getting to supplement our our supply, majority of it coming from the Edwards Aquifer. Got it. Now, you've you've said a lot in there. Uh, let's let's talk about the first thing we we spoke about, which was the water conservation efforts. And what were the elements of your water conservation program that that allowed you to reduce? Uh, the the per person consumption by a hundred gallons a day over that you know twenty five year span. Well, you know, first um, I want to say that it wasn't necessarily done because we thought it was a good thing to do. Uh, we did have a federal potential intervention into our usage, and we were told in fifteen years your ability to get water out of the Edwards will drop down significantly. So we had a head start. We had 15 years to get into this mode. So we did everything. We did um, rebates for uh, washing machines, toilets. Um, We've been so successful in retrofitting uh, toilets that we don't just do schools. We do entire school districts. Uh, We don't just do uh, hotels. We do hotel chains where we retrofit the commodes, the showers, anything that water comes out of, just uh, low-flow devices. And that's what's done in conjunction with um, private industry, where we actually paid for part of it uh, so that they would see it not only savings in water reduction, but also um, a savings in the infrastructure that they had to uh, change out. So it was a buy-in by, by the private industry. So anything we did, we had to have that buy-in. So we also, for example, part of our city has is very rocky where uh, grass will not grow. And homeowners were putting grass on top of rock and expecting it to grow. So along with the home building industry, we now have a city ordinance that you have to have, for example, four inches of topsoil before you can lay the grass down. So all these little innovative things collectively uh, added up to that. And so we have agreements with the major AT&T, major corporations here, where we help retrofit um, whatever they do. For example, Frito-Lay that makes uh, chips here, uh, uh, potato chips are much more water intensive than other chips. So we help them with um, different infrastructure changes that they needed to make. Coca-Cola, for example, uh, we help pay for cleaning of water bottles without using water, using more air than water. So all of these uh, real interesting, innovative things we get into uh, with our conservation department, and that just collectively helped drive down that number. Okay. Um, And you mentioned a number of things about the new sources of supply you're working on. Uh, You mentioned the, the inland desal plant. Tell us a little about how, how did you, arrive at the conclusion that, that an inland desal plant would work, um, and what kind of uh, output are you expecting to get, to get out of that plant when it comes online in 2016? Well, uh, where we are located, where San Antonio lo- is located, it's uh, actually um, just serendipity, very, very ideal for water. Uh, we have the Everest Aquifer. We're limited somewhat in getting that water because of endangered species issues. But we also have a different aquifer, uh, a brackish aquifer that's uh, too salty to drink, too salty for crops, too salty for livestock. So it's an unused resource, and it's right here within our county. 
that we are tapping into. Uh, so knowing that we had to start weaning ourselves off of the Edwards Aquifer, again, because of this endangered species lawsuit, and looking for other sources, some of it was right here in our own backyard, and that was brackish water. So we're going to site the plant within our uh, county limits. Um, and there was a, a political reason to do that, because if you just go on the other side of the county line, uh, a different governing structure that kind of um, uh, prohibited us from really uh, getting as much brackish water as we wanted to. Our inland desal plant, when it's fully built out, will be the largest in the United States, and we're building it in phases. Uh, the first phase is going to be about 20, about 12,000 acre feet. Second phase, about 12,000 acre feet. So the total capacity, when it's fully built out, will be about 33,000 acre feet. Uh, and so we're looking much forward to that. Um, the, it'll be online in 2016. So uh, if you go out to the to the work site, you'll see uh, the uh, all the um, construction work going on. It'll be online uh, in about 12 months, about 2016, uh, late tw 24 months, about 2016. Okay, terrific. Um, let's talk a little about the workforce uh, that's going to work out there. Is this uh, is this something that uh, you have to bring in special employees, or how, how are you getting these folks trained up to, to work at the Inland Desal plant? Well, we don't have to bring in special employees, but we do need some specialized training. The unique thing about this is right next door on the same acreage is our aquifer storage and recovery plant, our ASR. So those employees who have uh, a general knowledge about uh, the way that uh, that system works, you know, pumps uh, and instruments, uh, instrument, instrument panels, they sort of have a working knowledge of it, but there's a more uh, specialized work involved. So that they will actually be the same workforce. Uh, as I mentioned, they're right next door to each other. So they will be able to run both plants, maybe a, another couple of employees, but all in all, no new employees, but some specialized training for the employees. Okay. And so I, I guess I should have asked this even before that previous question. You're you're building this plant um, rather than entering into a P3, right? Uh, correct. Uh, we did uh, hire private uh, construction company, private uh, consulting engineer, but we are financing it. We are building it. We are the owners uh, of the project. We have uh, gotten the majority of our funding through Texas, the state of Texas. The Texas uh, Water Development Board has the ability to uh, borrow money at very, very low interest rates. And so, and plus, uh, it's deferred. The first payments will not be made until we actually have customers taking on that water. So um, it, it's very cost effective for, it was very cost effective for us to actually build the plant. Terrific. Now. Uh, one of the issues with desal plants is the brine stream that comes out of it. What what are you going to do with uh, with that brine stream? Well, we've been very uh, lucky at SAWS uh, in creating uh, what is normally waste into something that's uh, good for the environment and also profitable uh, for SAWS. So hopefully we'll talk about that later on. But in particular, the brine uh, that's an expensive and uh, proposition to get rid of that concentrate, the waste product, but uh, we currently have drilled uh, an injection well that we're uh, going to dispose of that brine, but, but we also have a current contract with another company that will be uh, looking at accepting that brine 
taking a lot of the uh, solids and minerals out of it and creating a market for that and essentially selling back, selling us back uh, the water uh, that they have since cleaned up. So it's some, so much, somewhat of a continuous cycle where we're trying to put some of that waste back to good use. Okay. And do you have a sense of what the, what the market is going to be, what, what the product they're going to market is? Uh, gosh, that's a little technical for me. As I mentioned, <laughs> I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I feel uh, the same way. <laughs> the city of El Paso, they have a diesel plant. Uh, they are currently a, a couple of uh, years ahead of us in this uh, uh, project, so we're uh, tailoring what they're doing, trying to uh, see how it might work or may not work. So we're actually um, going to just uh, learn from their trial and error. What about you? You mentioned you know this is good for the environment and profitable for saws. So talk a little about about that. Well, you know, uh, it's very expensive to get rid of the brine, a lot of power cost to dispose of that, having to drill that well, maintain that well where you uh, get rid of your brine. But if, if we can essentially uh, reach an agreement where this company will accept that brine, uh, clean it up for their own purposes, and so uh, we save the cost of having to get rid of it, and we're able to get more water because they will clean up some of that, uh, what was the brine, clean up that water and sell it back to us. So, And then obviously we can sell it back to our ratepayers. So it is um, like a lot of things in this country where we thought it was waste. Uh, we're repurposing it, re-looking at it to try to make it more profitable. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's great. Um, you've mentioned the aquifer storage and recovery system a couple times. Talk, can you talk a little bit about at a high level what it is and then and then maybe get into kind of how it works and, and what benefits it provides to saws? Well, our main supply of water is the Edwards Aquifer, uh, but it's highly regulated by the state. We get a certain uh, permit, a certain amount of acre feet per year, uh, it, and that permit is renewed every year. Uh, you can't roll over like maybe your cell phone minutes. You just have to uh, uh, use it uh, for that year. And so in, in certain years, uh, wet years, uh, we actually have more than what we need. So we still pump up to our, our permit, and we pipe it um, about 25 miles away, 20 miles away, and inject it into a different aquifer. And so it, it stays underground. It stays somewhat compact. Uh, it moves the water that's there, kind of moves it away, and creates uh, a bubble down there, a giant, huge bubble. And so, as I mentioned, in wet months, uh, in wet years, we inject as much as we can. And in dry years, dry months, we um, produce, we pull back that water, sort of like a savings account where when you have extra cash, you put it into your savings. And when times are tough, you need some of that money, you, you withdraw it out. And so it's, it's, um, it's the largest gra uh, groundwater-based system in the United States. Uh, at any one time, the most we've had is about almost half of our yearly supply stored underground. It um, doesn't get contaminated. There's no surface water issues. It doesn't evaporate like uh, reservoirs do. So it's, it's, a, it's a great jewel that we have, that uh, great water management that we're able to do because of it. We, we can really uh, take advantage of wet years and know that in dry years we have a, a, a good savings account to draw on. Okay. And what, what approximately is the storage capacity of the ASR? Well, um, we recently did a study, and that study shows that the capacity is about 200,000 acre feet. 
As I mentioned, we got it as high as maybe in the high 90s, 97,000 acre feet, before we had to start drawing it out. Uh, we are experiencing probably a five-year drought right now. And so, in, for example, in 2011 was the hottest, driest uh, year in our recorded history. That 12 months, uh, we used a lot of that water, uh, but it still only got down to maybe about uh, 80,000 acre feet. So we still had other sources of water that we were able to use. So um, we never draw it down uh, very much. We're still mostly in the process of putting water into it. It's only about 10 years old. It's been online for about 10 years. So we're still uh, in that mode of adding to it, adding to it. Okay. Um, and what about do you, the recycled water in terms of, you know, I, I know that SAWS, uh, as we talked earlier, uh, operates both the water and the wastewater utility. Is, can you talk a little about your recycled water system? Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to say that we have the nation's largest recycled system um, right here. Uh, it is essentially a ring around our city, a purple pipe uh, delivering water from our wastewater plant, bringing it back into the city, and we have spokes out of that ring uh, delivering water to manufacturers like Toyota and Microsoft, uh, to universities, Trinity University, University of Texas at San Antonio, Golf courses, all the municipal golf courses are irrigated with recycled water. Our river walk is supplemented uh, in the downtown area with, with more water. Uh, our world-famous zoo, uh, there's a lot of um, need for water there, and so we supplement that also. Um, so it, it's, it's a huge benefit now that we have. Our wastewater treatment plant, um, it's a very big plant, and so that's where a lot of what we used to just let go into the river capture a big part of it. We've been doing this for, as I mentioned, since 2004, uh, but, it, but prior to that, we were doing recycling in the sense that our, our sister agency, the power company, has been using our recycled water for about 50 years. So they get about 50,000 acre feet of this recycled water for their use, and so we're able to, uh, to help them out also for, uh, in keeping the lights on. Okay, and is the recycled waters that when you mention like Microsoft and Toyota, are, is it primarily to irrigate their grounds, or are they, you know, making expanded use of that water and sort of process water? Uh, well, uh, expand uh, for irrigation, yes, but mostly for processing. Uh, every Toyota truck, uh, their paint job has a little bit of our water in it. Uh, they further refine that water uh, when they use it. Microsoft uses it for cooling. Uh, and so a lot, a lot of our industrial users use uh, our recycled water. Uh, it is priced uh, to make it um, uh, more attractive to use that recycled water than potable water. Got it. Now, you also indicated uh, earlier that uh, you operate, uh, you know, a heating and cooling utility as part of, of SAWS. Are you using any of this recycled water in cooling towers and things like that for, for that kind of district energy utility? Uh, uh, not, not directly. Uh, we do help out some of these uh, larger buildings with their condensate, um, and we're working with programs like that. Uh, the heating and cooling is a very, very small, almost a stepchild part of what we do. It's basically for the downtown area, and uh, very few employees, very few um, part of our overall structure. Okay. Um, now... You also have some unique things. You've got an in-pipe electricity partnership. Can you tell, you know, what exactly is that? How does it work? And 
And can you tell us a little about that? Uh, there's, uh, I think, four, uh, a total of four cities in the United States that have a pilot program going on. Uh, as you know, water is very heavy. Uh, lifting it, moving it takes a lot of energy. And so we have some huge pipelines, um, you know, 54-inch, 60-inch pipelines that water is being moved through. And so essentially, um, when you build a pipeline, putting a turbine in some of the uh, some of those key points, and the the movement of the water turns the turbine, which in turn uh, creates electricity to be used by us in moving that water. So uh, Lucid Technologies is the company that we're working with. Uh, and it looks very, very promising and uh, just in the pilot stage to make sure that we can um, potentially put it into different parts of our system. Okay. How about some other uh, energy usage um, uh, aspects of saws and, you know, like solar, hydro? How are you making making use of those uh, power um, sources? I would love people to come visit our wastewater treatment plant plant is called Dos Rios, Two Rivers. It's where two rivers meet, where we discharge. So what used to be totally waste product, uh, the water, as we mentioned already, gets recycled uh, for power and for industrial uses. But the sludge, the uh, biosolids that was created, we used to just send it to the uh, landfill. We have a private company on site that comes in. It's called New Earth. They bring in branches and leaves that they collect throughout the city and create a compost. So when I talk to people, I love to tell them that if you come to San Antonio and stay long enough, you can buy your own DNA back at some of the uh, garden stores. And another thing that we do, we were the first in the nation to capture the methane gas that used to be just flared off. A private company from Massachusetts, Amoresco, again on site, uh, captures that methane, methane gas, further refines it, and puts it back on the grid so we get a little revenue source from that. As you can imagine, wastewater treatment plants uh, are not in the center of town. They're uh, you know, out in the countryside, but still close enough to San Antonio. And so we have um, a, a huge buffer area there uh, from any of the surrounding neighbors. And so it was you know, just acreage out there. So we reached a, a, a private partnership with Sun Edison and our own electric utility here, municipal-owned utility, where we have the state's largest solar farm right there on site creating solar power. Now, as you know, solar power is subsidized, so we actually don't use that particular solar power, but there's enough power there that's generated to run that plant, our ASR plant, and still have enough left over. So we're very proud of these uh, things that used to be waste Uh, what we call our environmental trifecta. Again, talking about the movement of power, uh, the movement of water, how much power it takes, and it creates a lot of energy on its own. So the the outfall of the water that is cleaned up and that goes into the river, we're looking at capturing that that power for hydroelectric power. It'll be a nominal amount, um, but it's still something that helps out in the long run. Just every little thing that we can do like that is something that we want to stay ahead of the game and try to be as innovative as we can uh, to get the big bang for our ratepayer buck. Okay. Those all sound fantastic. Now, uh, you you just mentioned innovation, and one of the things that I wanted to chat with you about was your Vista Ridge uh, project, the regional infrastructure and the cost sharing and how that works, Uh, because I think, you know, that seems to me to be a very innovative uh, uh, concept in terms of, of 
spreading infrastructure costs uh, amongst a number of partners. So could you talk a little bit about that project? Uh, it, it was. You know, you have to appreciate Texas groundwater law, where essentially it is a private property right, uh, but it's regulated. And so it's regulated by groundwater districts and groundwater districts that, you know, the water is in rural Texas and we need to move it to urban Texas. And so they take a very parochial uh, attitude over that water. They're elected officials, and their philosophy is it's our water, even though that rural area may not be growing at all. And they don't they they want to protect that source. But again, it's a private property right. But you know, there's still a lot of regulatory issues there. So sometimes you get uh, the right to use uh, that water to pump that water, but the permit is only for five years. So you can imagine financing a project of over $100 million, and it's a five-year permit, and you have to go back another in five years to renew that permit. It's, it's very risky. So we didn't want to do that again. So what we put out was a proposal to the public out there is you find the water, you build the infrastructure, you do the politics, you do the, the permitting, you build the pipeline, you get the easements, bring that water to our doorstep, at a meter, and whatever goes through that meter, we will buy. And essentially, that's what uh, happened. Uh, Vista Ridge is a, uh, a consortium made up of uh, Blue Water, which is a Texas-based uh, company that uh, has leases with uh, groundwater uh, with landowners for their water, and Avangoa. Avangoa is a Spanish construction and engineering company. They formed Vista Ridge, and so we have just recently, uh, this past October, gotten permission from our city council to approve that contract with them, where they're going to build this 142-mile pipeline, deliver 50,000 acre feet to us. So they will be taking all of that risk, the construction risk, the um, the easement risk, uh, if there's a um, earthquake anywhere along that pipeline, if there's a break you know, anywhere along that pipeline, it's all of their risk. Our risk is if they deliver that 50,000 acre feet, we got to pay for it. And so it is a, a costly endeavor, but there's minimal risk now involved. Most of the risk has been shifted over to the private company. Well, that sounds like a great uh, example and cr- a creative use of a, a public-private partnership. So, um, well, Robert, I just want to thank you very much for your time today. You've been absolutely fantastic kind of educating us about what SAWS is all about and some of the unique and creative projects that it has engaged in. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about SAWS and about you, where can they go to do that? Uh, simply SAWS.org. SAWS stands for San Antonio Water System, um, SAWS.org. And you'll see a little informa- of information there. My contact information is there. Uh, I'd love to talk to anybody about this. Terrific. Well, thanks again, Robert. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye. That was my conversation with Robert Puente. Hope you liked it and gained some insights from his discussion of SAWS and the many projects that SAWS has going on. Uh, Here are a couple of takeaways. First and foremost, I thought Robert made a very insightful statement, one that was easy to miss, and that's that you cannot conserve your way out of a drought. He indicated it was a recipe for disaster, especially on the revenue side. Now, Speaking from personal experience, I've not had this issue within the context of a drought, but I have had uh, this issue come up in the context of an infrastructure uh, problem. Essentially, um, a water treatment plant was pushing against its capacity, and some people within the client's 
decision-making tree, we're making public statements about being able to adopt a conservation-based strategy, strategy to solve the issue. Uh, fortunately, after much analysis and lobbying and debate, the client moved forward on a treatment plan expansion and adopted a long-term conservation strategy similar to what SAWS did rather than attempting to conserve their way out of that specific infrastructure problem. So I thought that was a nugget of wisdom from Robert that was easy, easy to overlook and very, very important and insightful. So uh, next I found SAWS ASR system very intriguing. They've been able to store half of their yearly uh, supply and they have capacity to store much more. You know, Robert indicated that a recent study determined that the ASR has a 200,000 acre foot capacity, but the most they've stored is in the upper, you know, mid to upper 90,000 acre foot range. That What a great and fortuitous water storage system for saws. Uh, my final takeaway involves the Vista Ridge project that Robert discussed. That's the P3 where uh, the Vista Ridge companies, Blue Water and Abengoa, uh, will take care of all the back-end issues and deliver water to SAWS. SAWS avoids all that risk exposure except for the payment for the contractual water deliveries. So Robert mentioned that this is an expensive option, but that premium is for the risk shifting. And from what he described, the $100 million in project costs, but you know, couple that with the five-year uh, permitting for the water issues, uh, that is a significant amount of risk that SAWS avoided. So we've... We've talked a lot about P3s on this podcast, and this is another great example of a P3 where everyone wins. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 46. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.